0: So our text this evening is uh, John chapter 6. Let's come back to our series through the Gospel of John. And in a rather large section that deals with Jesus as the bread of life, this evening I want to focus on verses 22 through 34, um, which I have subtitled, Seeking Earthly Bread. Speaking of the crowd and their response to the Lord and his miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But hear God's word beginning at verse 22 here in John 6. And the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. From time to time, there are sweepstakes that involve restaurants giving away food for a whole year. Imagine winning a year's worth of pizza or donuts or fried chicken or burgers and fries. I'm not sure how the details would work out exactly, but I imagine it would break down into like one meal per week and maybe that sounds great, but I can imagine getting burned out pretty quickly with such rich food. I think our bodies would have a sixth sense to know that these foods are not the healthiest ones to eat on that regular of a basis. And while it would not be as exciting, it actually would be much more practical to win a year's worth of bread. And if you were to win a loaf per week, that would be around the amount that the average American consumes. Bread, though a basic food, is a much more healthy food. It can be eaten in an infinite variety of ways, and in the end would be a much better prize. Well, in Jesus' day, people ate so much bread, it was eaten on such a regular basis, that it was considered a staple, virtually synonymous with, with food in general. So for example, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we understand that this is a request for the basic necessities of food that our bodies need day by day to be healthy and to have the energy to do the work that we need to do. And in Jesus' day, that was essentially a request for bread. And when Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children with bread and fish, The five loaves that that boy had would have been enough for one meal for a regular-sized family. Remember the parable of the persistent friend in Luke 11, who goes to his neighbor asking for three loaves for a guest who has arrived during the night. Bread was clearly a mainstay in the diet of people in Jesus' day. For people who live day by day on bread, the miracle of the Lord left a deep impression. And after this miracle, the people were definitely interested in following Jesus. Perhaps you can recall John's words, the the writer of this gospel, as he wrote back in chapter one, he's writing about the word coming and shining light into our world's darkness. And John, in a summary way, wrote in chapter one, verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And here in chapter six, we are inclined to think, well, this must be an exception Finally, people are recognizing Jesus' greatness. Finally, people are willing to be his disciples. In the verses before us, we see people who are indeed seeking him. But what we learn is that they are not seeking him for the right reasons. Consequently, Jesus redirects their seeking from earthly bread to seeking the bread that endures to eternal life. And so under this theme of seeking earthly bread, I'll be presenting three points. First, the seeking multitude. Second, the nature of their seeking exposed. And third, their seeking redirected. So we begin with the seeking multitude. And we're not surprised to learn that this crowd is looking for Jesus. The evening before, Jesus had fed them all from only five loaves and two fish. And it was evident to all who had eaten as much as they had wanted That something extraordinary had taken place. Jesus was indeed someone special, even the promised prophet, the Messiah. They had aspirations to make Jesus their king, but Jesus would have nothing to do with their earthly goals. And John simply reports that Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The other gospel writers fill in the details that Jesus dismissed the crowd and sent his disciples away by boat to the west toward Capernaum. Later, Jesus joined them, remembered by walking across the sea, and as a result, the disciples and Jesus in the early morning hours arrived on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And apparently the crowd left behind did not give up on pursuing Jesus. They saw Jesus send off his disciples by boat. We can surmise that they saw him disappear into the hills, but come morning they began looking for him, probably expecting him to come down out of the hills, and when he was nowhere to be found, they figured that in all likelihood he went in some way or another to join up with his disciples on the western shore. Meanwhile, boats show up from Tiberias. That was an important city on the southwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, We gather that information had probably circulated to the effect that many of the residents of Capernaum had not returned from their 10-mile trek by land over to the eastern shore. And that there would be likely many who would appreciate a boat ride back home. And so suddenly boats arrive where Jesus had fed the people. And the crowd took advantage of the boats to head west to look for Jesus and his disciples in Capernaum. And what stands out here in John's account is that they are confused over where Jesus has gone. They hadn't seen him leave in a boat. Presumably, they would have encountered him if he had decided to walk the 10 miles by shore to Capernaum. But regardless, they figure somehow he must be with his disciples, and so they begin to look for him in Capernaum. And soon enough, they find him, and their first words to him concern this mystery of his disappearance. Rabbi, when did you come here? Or a better translation might be, how long have you been here? This was, we might think, a perfect opportunity for Jesus to explain to them yet another miracle, another miracle that he performed, namely how he walked on the water and joined his disciples in their boat. This would have helped cement the loyalty of the people to Jesus as one powerful enough to lead a revolution against Rome and provide prosperity for all. Look at the devotion of these people as as evidenced by their willingness to hunt Jesus down. Isn't this a wonderful opportunity we might think for Jesus to rally these folks? Look at the interest. Look at how they are following Jesus. Isn't this what is expected of disciples? But in what seems to us like a blown opportunity, Jesus reprimands them. Jesus basically ignores their question, though he does answer them. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. We recognize that Jesus, as the divine Son of God, who knows all things, he can see into their hearts, and he recognizes their motives, And as Jesus converses with them, there are three things that they are seeking. They are seeking food. They are seeking works by which they can save themselves. And thirdly, they seek an additional sign that would prove to them that Jesus is worthy of their faith, though their idea of faith is distorted. So the first thing that Jesus exposes is their earthly self-seeking motives. For what they want is food. What they want is food. Jesus first explains the matter negatively that they are not seeking Him because they saw the signs. And uh, that the miracle Jesus performed is called a sign indicates that this was done in order to point to spiritual realities. All of His miracles were meant to convey the truth that Jesus is the spiritual Messiah, the Son of God, come to deliver His people from their spiritual problems. They're not seeking Jesus because they saw signs. They are seeking Jesus, as he explains, because he fed them. So Jesus straight out exposes the truth. They appreciated a free meal. It may be that they were hoping Jesus would continue to feed them. It would be like winning a sweepstakes of free groceries, and not just for one year, but ongoing. Now, we would think that was great, But think of how especially that would have been a dream come true for the people of Jesus' day who didn't have the resources that we have today. And it was likely their hope that Jesus would continue to multiply bread and fish day after day after day, but more than likely they were thinking, at least broadly, of what having Jesus as king could mean for their lives. What Jesus is exposing is that they are thinking Of Jesus as security for their earthly lives. Signs point to spiritual realities, but they're not thinking spiritually. They're stuck in the physical realm. They want a king who will give them earthly prosperity, who will give them freedom from the oppression of Rome, who will give them food, who will give them a thriving economy, who will give them health, etc. The kind of people who sought Jesus in Capernaum still exist. They say they want Jesus And they go to church and they read about him in the Bible, but they're not seeking him for spiritual blessings. What about you? Are you seeking Jesus for spiritual blessings? There are so many who want a Jesus who gives them a life of ease and prosperity, a life marked by peace and good health. They are thinking of Jesus as the key to a good life, which he is, but they are not thinking of the spiritual life, a fellowship with God and with his people. That begins now and concludes with being with Christ in heaven after death. They're thinking only of the problems of this life, and for them prosperity is basically an earthly life free of stress. And so they want the Jesus of the so-called prosperity gospel. And Jesus responds to their earthly self-centered perspective with the admonition of verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. In other words, don't give yourself to food, earthly food that spoils. Earthly food doesn't last just as earthly life itself doesn't last. Earthly bread only gives nourishment for a time and then it's gone. Instead, Jesus counsels work for food that lasts and that continues to give life even into eternal life. And he goes on to explain that this lasting food is what Jesus will give them, and he is able to do so because God has set his seal on Jesus, has set his seal on Jesus as the one sent, that one that God has sent to give eternal life. This seal is probably referring to how at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descended and landed upon Jesus, and the Father announced that Jesus was his beloved Son and told the people to listen to him. Jesus' words are the context for exposing another flaw in the crowds seeking of Jesus, namely their belief that they will be saved by their good works rather than by faith in him. For having heard Jesus talk about working for food that endures, they they immediately think that Jesus is talking about working to earn eternal life for themselves rather than Trusting in Christ, they are trusting in themselves. And they want to know, though, what Jesus thinks they need to do. Their trust in good works is evident from their question in verse 28 What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answer the, answers them and tells them that the work that God would have them to do is believe in Him. And their response to Jesus' answer is the context for exposing yet another way they are not seeking Jesus in the correct way. When Jesus tells them that God would have them believe in him, their response is to demand a sign that would convince them of his credentials, of credentials to believe in him. So they want him to perform a miraculous work. And we wonder how they could possibly request such a thing when Jesus has just given them a sign of who he is. He's just miraculously fed this this great crowd with but five loaves and two fish. But they're they're thinking of a sign uh, of something else as they go on to explain in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus clarifies what they meant in verse 32 when he says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but My father. And so when they said he gave them bread, they were thinking of Moses. And so they want a sign that Jesus is as great or greater than Moses. Yes, the sign Jesus gave them, we might say, got him to stage one in the interview process or maybe even further along, but they can now agree at least that he may be the prophet, he may be greater than Moses. But as proof, they want Jesus to do something more spectacular than Moses did. And what they are doing is comparing and contrasting Moses and Jesus. And they're reflecting upon how, in their minds, Moses gave them bread from heaven. Well, what did Jesus do? He gave them bread from existing bread and fish. And so in the end, what is exposed is a seeking of Jesus for the wrong reasons. They seek him for earthly food. They seek him for advice on what good works they might do to earn God's favor. They seek him for a greater sign that will prove him greater than Moses. And so in the end, it's clear they're not seeking him as the divine Messiah come to save them from sin. They are interested in Jesus, but they are not seeking him as the Savior whom God has provided, the one who is to be trusted for eternal life. All along the way, Jesus responds to their misdirected enthusiasm. They have sought him. Uh, They would gladly have him to be their king, but Jesus sees their motives and he knows their misdirected thinking and he admonishes them to change course. In response to their seeking him because they ate their fill of the loaves, Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. on him, God the Father has set his seal. J.C. Ryle in his commentary explains this admonition that the Lord gives not to work for the food that perishes. He says this, Our Lord, we may be sure, did not mean to encourage idleness. It would be a great mistake to suppose this. Labor was ordained to be man's occupation after the fall. Labor is honorable to all men. What our Lord did mean to rebuke was that excessive attention to labor for the body while the soul is neglected, which prevails everywhere in the world. What he reproved was the common habit of laboring only for the things of time and neglecting the things of eternity, of minding only the life that now is and disregarding the life to come. We must all feel that our Lord did not say these words without good reason. They are a startling caution which should ring in the ears of many in these latter days who are doing nothing for their immortal souls. We should note what Christ advises. He tells us to labor for the meat that endureth to everlasting life. He would have us take pains to find food and satisfaction for our souls. That food is provided in rich abundance in him. But he that would have it must persevere in seeking it. How are we to labor? There's but one answer. We must labor in the use of all appointed means. And as I read that, I can go along with that. But then what he does next is to explain what are those means. And this is where I believe he goes wrong as he describes essentially laboring in religious exercises. He says, read your Bibles like men digging for hidden treasure." wrestle earnestly in prayer, pay attention as you worship God, fight daily against sin. And I agree that such labor, we can call it labor or work, belongs to living the Christian life as the way to grow in holiness, but that kind of labor is not what the Lord is talking about in going from an unbelieving person focusing on earthly bread to a believer seeking spiritual things. Yes, there is labor involved in sanctification and growing in holiness but reading your bible and going to church and praying and and paying attention and worship these things are not going to justify you they are they are not going to 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 get you a right relationship with the lord What Jesus is contrasting is the person who gives his effort to gaining those things that sustain earthly life when he needs to give effort to gaining those things that bring and sustain spiritual life. And this is where things get sticky and where misunderstanding can take place because it sounds like on the surface Jesus is promoting salvation by works. But let it be clear he's not here calling upon his audience to switch from earthly works to religious works. He's not teaching salvation by works of any, of any form. Notice that right after Jesus says to work for the food that endures, he adds, which the Son of Man will give to you. Which the Son of Man will give to you. This tells us that this word work is used in its most basic sense as a seeking, where you are doing what is necessary to get a thing. Well, how do we seek and get this food that endures? If, if, if Jesus is willing to give it to us, then the way you work for it is to receive it from him. You ask for it in prayer. You look to him to give it to you, which is faith. This is not the working of earning God's favor. Jesus is not encouraging the works of people who are trying to merit works-based righteousness. And we don't have to speculate about what Jesus means, for the response of the people provides the context for Jesus to explain further what he means when he says to work or to labor for the food that endures to eternal life. You see, the people picked up on that word work and immediately thought that Jesus was talking about good works to earn eternal life. And so they asked, what must we do? What must we do? That's how the world thinks, right? I want to go to heaven. What must I do? What must I do to be doing the works of God? They are asking what Christ would say they are to do so that they will be doing what God requires. And Jesus answered them. This is verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This reminds me of really the irony of Isaiah 55, which was read earlier, which is also instruction that is given in the context of what sinners need to do to be saved. And there in Isaiah 55, the prophet calls to sinners, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And so through Isaiah, God is calling sinners to come and buy. And it it might sound like he is saying, we've got to give God something to earn this food that he has that satisfies the soul. But he says to buy without money. Buy that which has no price. Basically, is saying if you are hungry and thirsty to come to him and eat and drink what can't be purchased but can only be received. And this is basically what Jesus is saying. If you want to talk about the need of what to do to be saved, you need to believe, which is essentially not doing anything but receiving the salvation that Christ offers. It's about resting upon his work. He was the one who worked to earn favor with God for us. His work was to obey the law perfectly in our place. His work was to suffer and die the curse of the law for us. And the for us means that he did his work as a substitute for others. And how can you know that he did this work for you? Well, as long as you think that you can do your own works and save yourself, then you can't claim that Jesus worked for you. But you can know he worked for you if you will, by faith, receive his work on your behalf. But even with this clarification, notice Jesus' audience still doesn't understand his point, and their response is to ask him to prove his credentials Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so their response indicates that, don't you notice this, how they just latch on to like one word that Jesus says and, and, and go with that? Well, here they're latching on to Jesus' call to believe in him. But what do they mean by believing? Their idea of belief in him seems to be no different than belief in Moses. Essentially, they believed in Moses by believing that he was sent from God and thus able to tell them how to be saved. Their idea of salvation was to follow the rules of the law given to them by Moses. And now they agree that Jesus is a powerful guy, but is he as great or greater than Moses? And again, we wonder how they can even be thinking such a thing, how they can be ignoring the miracle that Jesus has just performed. But what they do is focus on the fact that Moses gave them bread from heaven while Jesus gave them bread, but from existing bread and fish. Notice how Jesus annihilates this contrast that they've drawn between him and Moses. First, he points out a huge flaw in their thinking about Moses, he tells them in verse 32 Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. When they quote from the Old Testament, He gave them bread from heaven to eat, they take the He there to be Moses. Isn't that astounding? How in the world did they think that? Moses gave them bread from heaven? Of course not. How could they have possibly thought this? All Moses did was tell them what God was going to do. Moses was only a messenger. Nothing happened that should have led the people to think that Moses was giving them bread. And the contrast should be clear enough after Jesus explains them, Moses gave them nothing. But with Jesus, it was actually God the Father giving them bread. And yes, there was existing bread, but to take five loaves and two fish and turn them into enough food to fill the stomachs of 15,000 plus people is undoubtedly a work of creation that only God can do. In the end, Jesus does something at the close of this section, which is designed to turn their attention from the physical bread, which is what dominates their attention. Jesus here introduces the idea that the real bread of God is a person He's a person, though he uses a pronoun that can be understood as an impersonal that or which. The ESV rightly understands Jesus to be saying, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. The real bread of God that nourishes and sustains spiritual life is Jesus. Jesus says more when he says that this bread gives life to the world. This is a bread that doesn't just sustain earthly life, it gives life. And furthermore, it's an ongoing source of life, not just a source of life when it is received and then needs to be received again and again, like wonder bread. No, this bread Jesus is talking about gives life, not just sustaining that which already exists, a life that did not exist before, and then, of course, never stops sustaining it also. And this bread gives life, to the entire world of all races of people. Jesus is talking here about a a cure for world hunger. Imagine someone claiming to have enough bread to feed the entire world. That would be phenomenal, right? Well, Jesus is talking about spiritual life for people of every tribe and tongue and nation through his saving work, through faith in him. He is the source and sustainer of all spiritual life, the real bread of God. The people are thinking carnally and they, they say, give us this bread always. They apparently understand Jesus to be saying, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They're not thinking about a person. They're like the woman at the well who at first, remember, was only thinking on a mundane level when she says, Sir, give me this water that Jesus had just offered her. Wouldn't it be great to no longer have to go to a well every day and draw water? Wouldn't it be great to have a miracle worker who can just zap your food into reality? They don't understand the sign of Jesus feeding of the 5,000. They think that Jesus is talking about some miracle bread, some earthly bread that not only sustains, but somehow imparts life. But for them, this is all about some special supply of physical food. Well, Jesus is going to go on to explain further and more explicitly that he is the bread of life. I'm going to end with some words from J.C. Ryle's commentary. He says, he that is Jesus himself was the bread of God who had come down from heaven to give life to the world. The bread which fell in the days of Moses could only feed and satisfy the body. The Son of Man had come to feed the soul. The bread which fell in the days of Moses was only for the benefit of Israel. The Son of Man had come to offer eternal life to the world. Those who ate the manna died and were buried, and many of them were lost forever. But those who ate the bread which the Son of Man provided would be eternally saved." And now let us take heed to ourselves and make sure that we are among those who eat the bread of God and live. Let us actually come to Christ and eat the bread of life and believe that our souls are saved. The Jews could say evermore, give us this bread. But it may be feared that they went no further. Let us never rest till by faith we have eaten this bread and can say, Christ is mine. I have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I know and I feel that I am his. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for how you sustain physical life, but especially, Father, we thank you for spiritual life that you give us and sustain through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in that way is our bread. Father, we pray that for everyone here, They would be able to see beyond just this physical life and the needs of this physical world and would see that their soul needs the food that Jesus alone provides. Lord, we pray that you would take away from anyone here uh, trust in self, that we would be seeking only that which Jesus can provide, that we would cast aside all trust in ourselves and trust in him alone, trusting him to give us eternal life life with you, fellowship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.